0: Turn with me over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The title of the message is, The Word of God, Pathway to Life and Godliness. The Word of God, Pathway to Life and Godliness. Verse two, it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse four, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Lord, help us as we study today. Amen. Three things I wish to concentrate on this passage. One, that there are precious promises, valuable things. They've been granted to us, too. We we have the privilege of being partakers of divine nature. And three, we have the privilege of, of escaping. Peter is known for his directness. He doesn't beat around the bush much. He's trying to make sure that people get the point and generally get it in a hurry. And this is why he writes differently than the the Apostle Paul. Though the Apostle Paul could never be described as anything but an a-personality type, a very direct man, he spends a lot of time in the first few verses of his letters, his epistles, uh, massaging the environment. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by the will of God, servant to you, uh, greetings from Paul, from me and Timothy and all who are with me. May the grace of God be with you. And he goes on with these very long introductions, helping them understand, first of all, he's credible in his ability to speak and write, uh, making sure that there are others who are introduced in the process so that he doesn't look like a, a lone ranger, and trying to give a, a good, welcoming Uh, right hand of fellowship, before he gets into the the meat of his his letter. Uh, Verse 2, we are right in it with Peter. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you so that you can get right. (laughs) (laughs) And you get the sense that Peter is trying to help through literary uh, style, trying to communicate something about the urgency to come out of sin. To make sure that you know that you don't have to stay in that condition any longer than now. You can get out immediately. He wants to get to the point in a hurry. It's possible for you to be delivered from that which has bound you for a very long time and you do not have to wait for time to fix stuff. Oh, you who are a teenager, I realize there are things that are going on in your life and you realize this is kind of the emerging of, of ideas and, and, and your personality and, and everything that is becoming you. But please understand, sin doesn't have to be a part of that. That's right. yeah. I realize that there are people who say, well, just, they'll, they'll grow out of it. Some people don't. Right. They just stay in it. I'm convinced that Peter is trying to help folks No, you don't have to stay there. I'm not going to go around and just talk about all the niceties. Hurry up and get out of sin. Yes, sir. Get out of sin now. Come this way. And if you'll use the promises of God, you can get there much quicker. Mm. These promises are wonderful tools to not only inspire you toward your destiny, but to deliver you from your past. Mm. But we hardly ever use them because we are satisfied with just not being completely wicked. At least we aren't as bad as we used to be, or we're not as bad as fill in the blank. The worst criminal you have ever met, the one that's in the papers that you know you—you you, everybody defines him as bad, but you're not one of them. You, 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 haven't, you haven't done anything worthy of incarceration, or at least been caught. We have our own version of a sliding scale of righteousness. And generally speaking, we grade on a curve, do we not? You, you remember the, the, the class that, where the teacher graded on a curve, don't you? If you, a, if you got a 55, and you realize the guy next to you got a 58, and the girl in front of you got a 62. And the fella behind you got a 42. You're sitting there thinking, "I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I feel feeling pretty good about myself right now. And you're kind of peeking around and seeing peoples it's 67. Well, OK. 32. Whoo, Hallelujah. You are actually rejoicing with other people's failure. And don't let somebody get a 99. See? See? I have to prompt you. Just came out of you naturally. You aren't mad at the test. You're not mad at the teacher. You're mad at him. And all he did was study. <laughs> he did what you didn't. When you grade on a curve, you're no longer mad at yourself. You're mad at the person who set the standard really high. And you're happy with the people who are mediocre and really happy with the folks that are bad because they make you look good. We grade on a, on a curve, and it's not right. God does not. The standard does not lower. Christ is it. Perfection, we are called to reach toward. Will we ever attain it? We can't because we've already blown it. But that, that is no excuse for not trying. We need to reach high for the upward call of Christ. Upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I haven't become perfect yet in Philippians 3. I haven't attained it. But but one thing I do, one thing I do, I press that I might attain that for which I was apprehended. How's your pressing? How are you doing in the area of pushing yourself to become what you should be? The promises of God give us the privilege of understanding what that looks like. It is the mirror into which we are to look so that we understand what it is we are to become. Sometimes it's a little discouraging because we look and we say, gosh, I've got a long way to go. I'm not even close to that. Is there any makeup for this? <laughs> this blemish is horrible. That doesn't look right at all. I don't look anything like what a believer ought to be. God, help me, my mouth doesn't say right, my mind doesn't think right, my life doesn't look right, I don't act right, there's nothing about me that is consistent, God, help me. But listen, even though it might be painful to look into the mirror, at least you know what you need to improve. If you don't look in the mirror, you have no idea where you need to go, how far you need to go. Some of you never like to get on the scales. Somehow in your mind, you think, I'm going to, I'm, it's going to be better if I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to mess with you too much. I'm really not. But I'm just thinking, what's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Only correct self evaluation at critical steps is going to help you know how far you've come and how far you need to go. Get on the scale. Now you don't want to get on it because you don't want to know. I know, I know. But you won't change if you don't. The word of God allows us to see where we need to go, how much we need to change. These precious, first of all, these promises are valuable. There is gold in this Bible. Precious jewels, diamonds. If you do not read it, You are leaving your inheritance on a shelf. You're allowing it to to just sit there and never be utilized for your benefit when God left it for you. If somebody had left a brother a billion dollars and you knew about it and he had not claimed his inheritance, wouldn't you look at him strange? What is wrong with you? Your daddy loved you like that. He loved you. I had a daddy. He loved me, but he didn't love me like that. He couldn't. He didn't have the resources your dad did. Why haven't you picked up your money? All of heaven wants to know. Why haven't you picked up your money? Why are you just letting it? Why don't you read your Bible every day? David said it like this. I have valued your word so much in Psalm 119. I treasure it and I put it in my heart that I may not sin against you. And we forget that's we forget where the people were in the Bible when they said what they said. And we think they had all that we have in order to say what they said. But David only had a few books. He had the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had Joshua, he had Judges, maybe Ruth, Ah, Samuel, he was living with the Samuel, but I don't think he had Samuel yet, meaning first Samuel. That was written afterwards because we see that Samuel dies in his own book, so (laughs) he dies at the end of the second book, so, you know, he only had about seven books. And he said, I'm going to take what I got and put it in here. How much do you have again? You got 66. 66. God spoke a whole lot more after David. You have so much more value to put in your soul, making regular deposits of his promises in your life. Why? So that you may not sin against him. So that you won't offend him. And so that you'll know What you're supposed to become and what you're supposed to do. These promises are precious. They are valuable. And you need to hold them in high esteem. I realize, if you've got a Bible, I hope you don't have to do this before you open it. (sighs) I hope the binder doesn't creak when you open it. I hope the pages are tattered and torn. There's writing all on the inside. You have to take it to a new binder. Say, could you fix this for me? Because this is my favorite. All my great notes are in here. I wrote in the margins. I wrote in the, in the creases. I underlined stuff. I just need a new way to contain it. I hope that's the way your Bible is now. I haven't used a paper Bible in 20 years. Ever since they had Palm Pilots. You remember what those things were? I had the first one and put my Bible on there. So and the reason I do electronic stuff, because I'm forgetful. And, And I would leave my stuff every place. People knew it so well in my church that I had leaders that would wait after the service until I was about to walk out just to check up behind me all the time. And invariably, pastor, you forgot your briefcase, forgot your Bible. You need those keys to get home I am not kidding. I am as forgetful as the day is long. My mind has been renewed to a large extent because I began to not just read my Bible, but memorize my Bible. And I am different. You ask my family, ask my wife. I lost paychecks. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know. I know what you're saying, and it's all true. Guilty as charged, and every accusation and funny statement you're saying in your brain right now that you don't want to come out of your mouth because you respect me, I get it. (laughs) That's how bad off I was. And I have changed so much, but I helped myself change by not only renewing my mind according to this word so I learned how to remember better, but consolidating my life so that I only had one thing to carry. And so I said, I will put my Bible on my phone. That's always with me. And so I read my Bible. But I'm telling you, it's every day. And do not, don't you excuse the fact that you're a pastor. You have to read your Bible, Brad. That's your your profession. That's your job. I was doing this before I was paid to do it. I love my Bible. And generally speaking, although there is nothing about me that could ever be confused with perfection, you are not here because I am the greatest orator you've ever heard. I'm not. And I'm not trying to be. I've taken homiletics courses. I know what it means to articulate the message in a very orderly way. I know how to lay out a sermon. I know what it means to be animated and not to be. What it means to use voice inflection. I've done all that. But I'm not trying I'm trying to be a better Christian if I can be a better Christian I'll be a better presenter because the word will be on the inside of me I'm living it so I can talk about it right I love these promises they are precious to me the most valuable thing I've got is what God has said to me and I'm not going to ignore it I want to read it every day you need to read your Bible every day Make regular deposits in your soul. And then Peter does what he can. He, Peter is not, he's not a wordsmith. He, he's not, now the Bible is written in, in, in sixth grade grammar, in prose that is, is legible for a sixth grader. Nobody is trying to, to, as they write, nobody is trying to communicate with those who live in the ivory towers of intellect. They're trying to communicate with the masses. But Peter does his best to bring it down to even a more understandable level in that he realizes Paul writes stuff I don't get. (laughs) He said it's really hard to understand what that man's talking about. And so he goes on the other side and says let me just say it real plain. And he says not only are they precious these promises, this word, and he but he describes as best he can The impact on the person who actually uses them. The best superlative he can come up with. Magnificent. Magnificent. These precious promises are magnificent when they are employed. When you begin to put them in your life, they do amazing things. They change you from the inside out. They allow you to see the circumstances that do not change differently because you are different when you see them. Mm -hmm. They allow your heart to be that which used to be all messed up and foul and and leaning in the wrong direction. Now you're trying to do right all the time. Where it used to be knee-jerk that when somebody would verbally assault you, you'd have a comeback immediately. that would put them in their place. Now you're checked. Mm -hmm. I mean, the words get to about here. (laughs) They get to about here, and then all of a sudden, you feel this break from Jesus. He puts his foot right up and squealing tires. Screeching. And you want to... I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) Something is happening, and it's magnificent. You're no longer who you used to be. You can actually change and become that which you never thought you could be and exceed even your wildest dreams. These promises, when they're put into play, are magnificent. It's the best word you can come up with. It doesn't, it, it's our version of great in the Greek. Magnificent. And I don't know why we let our Bibles be the last priority of the day, if it is a priority at all. I beg you, please understand something about why God wants you to read it because he wants you to change, which bleeds right into my next point. We get to be partakers of his divine nature because these promises help us get there. When when we understand what this Bible has to say, we've got to be somewhat aggressive in in our apprehension of the principles. Now, there's nothing I can do verbally to change reality without the power of God. There is nothing about me that makes God somehow respond to me because I am so critical to his plan. I can't manipulate the environment. There are no incantations that I can present that somehow make God do something for me now. And he becomes my servant. That never happens and it never works. It's not even good theology. But there is a lot to say about participating in his plan and allowing his will to come through your life in a forcible way that it seems as if you are the agent of change when he is just working through you. Are you understanding the the nuance there? Super important because it's not about you, it's him. But the thing is this, you got to be aggressive on these promises. When it says that we are more than overcomers, what does that mean to you? Do you just allow that promise to sit there thinking it's really for pastors? It's for missionaries. It's for Mother Teresa. He's ri- Paul is writing to the Romans who are average church members. And he's saying that what, what, can, what can separate us from the love of God? Can famine, can nakedness, can soar, can peril, can anything separate us from how God loves us and the, how that love affects how we become. Nothing. For we are more than conquerors over everything that we would want to stop that from happening to us. So we are more than conquerors over the sin that would try to prohibit you and inhibit you from doing the will of God. Yeah. Never again. And I say it all the time but bears repeating never again. Say when, when you're talking about your proclivity to sin, well I'm only human. To whom did God write the commandments? Elephants? (laughs) Dogs, fish. Birds of the sky. Last I saw, they can't read. So, like he actually believes, you can read him and understand him and change. And obey him. What do you mean you're only human? You are human. You are made in his image. You've been flawed. You've been marred because you've done the wrong thing, but you... The intent was to make you after him. Why are you living so far below your privilege? Why? We are more than overcomers when it comes to sin. Paul said it like this. If you have been crucified with Christ, you are no longer slaves to sin, but you have been freed, Romans 6. Sin is not your master. You now get the privilege of calling righteousness your tutor. You can live right. You used to be bent this way, always thinking about that which was going to benefit you and being selfish and trying to get what you could out of anybody who had what you thought you needed, and now you're bent the other way whereby you're trying to give everything away to people who don't have. Even trying to be nice to your enemies. Can you get that? Mm -hmm. Loving your enemies. How does that happen? Except that these promises get on the inside of you and you overcome the self-preserving techniques that have allowed you to live far below your privilege. We're called to be in his image partakers of the divine nature. There is never a qualifying statement. You will never be him. You You can't be God. Some people think they are. Some people live like they are, though they don't think they are. They are are self-determinative. They don't consult him. They don't obey him. They, They do what they want to do. And as a result, they are acting like their own God. But you can never be him. And if you try, you really make a bad him. You're a really bad God. Because God, by definition, is eternal. He is infinite in his being. You are confined. You can't help the the guy who just had a flat tire on 28 because you're here. God God is every place. He can take care of the needs of the fellow who's in, in, in India right now, crying out, trying to figure out who he is, and not be distracted by his call to meet your need. He is every place at once. He is infinite and he is eternal, meaning he never had a beginning and he will never have an end. You had a beginning. So there was a time, even though you believe you are self-determinative, where you couldn't determine yourself. <laughs> and, 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 and that never happened with God. You are dependent upon others to not only have your being in that you were born, but you're dependent on others to continue your being. You are too dependent to be a good God because everybody else has to provide for you. I.E., did you write your own paycheck? Is your name on the dotted line? And even if you did, say you're self-employed, did you buy your own goods? I know I'm, I'm insulting your intelligence, but you had to have somebody who had a need that wanted what you had in order to supply what you need. We're all needy on this planet. Though you cannot be him, he intends for you to be like him. That's how he made you. And if there's anything you need to apprehend with aggression, it's a fact of this, that he has made you in his image. And if you are living far below that, then you need to fix that. If you're thinking not like him. If you're not speaking like him, if you aren't acting like him, you need to fix that because he called you and created you to be in his image. And there aren't enough believers out there that are living, speaking, and thinking that way. And so none of the uh, most of the world doesn't want to have anything to do with that which is called the church because they say they're Christians and then they say other stupid stuff too. It makes me just scratch my head. They said they were a Christian, then they do stupid stuff. I said, wait a minute. There really no ain't no difference between them and me. They just think Jesus is Lord. That's all. They think Jesus is Lord. He's not of their lives. No function. They just think it. And we have reduced in Western Christianity, Christianity down. To a common belief system that agrees with Scripture. An orthodoxy that we can assent to in our minds without living with our lives. And nothing about Scripture ever separated the two. When you look at disciple, it was all about people who believed and lived it. In fact, you didn't, you didn't know whether they were a real Christian unless they lived it. That's the way all of the New Testament looks. And yet we have somehow separated our practice from our belief. Never was it intended to be so. We are intended to be the image bearers of Almighty God in character, in thought, and in deed. And if you are living far below that, you need to reach higher every day. Are you listening to me? And please, even though I'm being very strong about this, which is my job as a preacher, I know I have far to go. Again, there's nothing about my life that could ever be confused with perfection. But I sure am better than I was last year. I'm better than I was last week. God is continuing to mature me and help me. Why? Because I'm hiding his word in my soul. As long as I continue to wake up, there's more for bread to be, and there's more for bread to do. Partakers of this divine nature. More love if you don't have enough. More patience, Galatians 5, 22. More kindness more joy more peace more self control more faithfulness more gentleness these things are are yours because they are the fruit of the holy spirit being in your life they are the character traits character traits that help us to find god in his nature and they are yours if you will apprehend them be aggressive about it i'm aggressive about these things. Sometimes I've, uh, people accuse me of being too aggressive. Guilty as charged, and I don't think I'm going to change. You know, the, the prayer Jesus prayed, we, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's affectionately named that. It's, it, it was never intended to be a prayer that, that was to be prayed by rote, meaning just line after line. It was intended to be an outline through which the disciples would then insert the things of import, import so that they would know how to pray. <clears throat> and there's, it's, it's not only important that you understand the topics of the Lord's Prayer, but you understand the way it is written or the way it is said. And there are a couple of lines in there that use uh, the, the literary style of parallelism. And we find that most often in the book of Proverbs, where it will say something like, uh, In all of your getting, get wisdom. In all of your gaining, gain understanding. The writer of that particular proverb is trying to say the same thing in a different way so he can re-emphasize his original point. It's called parallel construction. Jesus is using that in two lines of the Lord's Prayer. The first one, he says, After our Father who are in heaven, hallelujah, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Same kind of construction. And if you look at the verb, the, the grammar of it, it's not a plea that's what we call the subjunctive use of a word meaning the tone of how a sentence is conveyed and should be received so the subjunctive use is a plea or a begging so jesus is not saying in this passage lord let your will come let your will be let your let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven not that it's not in the interrogative which is a question lord let your will come Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, please. It's in the imperative, which sounds like this. And because we don't hear them saying it, we read it just with print. But if you look in the Greek, which I did, I know you don't, but I'm helping you. If you look in the Greek, it's in the imperative. Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It is a sense that I am to participate in the process by both invoking it rather than inviting. Invoking rather than inviting. Speaking it and agreeing with God in what he has already said. And participating in the process of making sure that my life lines up so the kingdom process can come through me as I live. Let it be done in my life. Let it be done in my family. Let it be done in my marriage, my children, my workplace. Let it be done in my church. Let it be done in the athletic communities. Let it be done every place. We invoke that blessing on the earth. Sometimes you've got to be aggressive with these principles of God. Now, it does not mean that somehow I have the power to bring it. i got nothing. I know what I'm not, but I am agreeing with the will of God as he said it should be done. And then I become an agent of change in the earth for his his purposes. (sighs) Okay. That was free. (laughs) And then the power part. We are to be the the image bearers of who he is to the world that does not know who he is. And we are to be the, the ones who display his goodness through power so people understand he's not like us. And being limited through earth's confines. He's different. He is above all circumstances. He can change stuff in an instant. And he doesn't, he doesn't sweat when he does it. When he exerts energy to do something, he never loses that which he, which he exerted. He's different than us. And nothing is impossible to him when just about everything is impossible to us. And when we come with both his character and his power, we give a panoramic view of who he is to the world. We ought to be believing regularly that we can pray for people when they're sick and see him healed. Jesus thought it was so normative. This supernatural stuff, he said this. Now, Mark 16. If you believe, these signs are going to follow every place you go. You'll cast out demons. You'll speak with new tongues. You'll be able to tread upon serpents and scorpions. They won't hurt you. If you drink any deadly poison, you're good. This wasn't a major change and expectation for the disciples. All he was doing was reading from the script of normality. This is what happens when people believe in that they become image bearers and God-doers. They do things for God on a regular basis for humanity. His power needs to be reflected in all of our lives, in the miraculous. We need that. You need that. It's amazing what can happen when one miracle happens to somebody. Usually it cuts out about six months worth of counseling. Just one, just one. All they need to see, it, 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 he's real. I got it. I repent. It fixes so much. Why? Because it's a sign and a wonder. A sign that points to who? Jesus a wonder that makes people get out of the realm of normative that they have experienced and say, I wonder what that was, and then you get to explain it. Lastly, we get to to escape the corruptive forces that are in this world, that are brought into this world by lust. We get to escape. Deliverance is yours. And here we have the second parallelism that we find in the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Same kind of thing. Saying the same thing in a different way so he can reemphasize what he said in the beginning. And this one is in the subjunctive. So it's not in the imperative. He's not demanding anything. He's not commanding anything. He's not trying to bring anything into the earth. This is, this is one of these, I am begging you to deliver me from everything that would try to take me left when you say right. Please, God, don't let me go wrong today. It is a cry. I realize my humanity. I know who my grandpa was, and I don't want to go that way today. I'm begging you. Don't let my flesh determine my my direction today. I need you desperately. And listen, you never grow out of that prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not something you mature out of. (laughs) I'm praying that thing and getting more revelation every time I get into it. Amen. And every day saying, Lord, help me to think right today, please. <sighs> don't let me think. Oh, don't let me go. Oh, gosh. Lord, you know, if I blow it, it'll be bad for me, but it'll be bad for everybody else. I mean, my church will blow up and your kingdom won't be advanced and, and then I, I won't be able to chaplain the Redskins anymore. My whole life will be destroyed. I'm just saying, <laughs> Lord, don't let me do stupid today. Don't let me do stupid today, please. Not to mention the fact that I will be the the fill-in-the-blank for what everybody doesn't want to be and thereby pull people away from your kingdom. I don't want to do anything that brings shame to your name, oh, God. It's a plea. You got to ask God regularly, regularly, don't let me do stupid. Escape the corruption that is in this world. How? By the promises of God. Again, Romans 6, you are not a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to do it. You can be delivered from it. You have been, and you practically need to be. It is an ongoing process. The cross finished it for you, and now you are in finishing school. You graduated from one level of humanity to another, and this is the process of shaping you into your destiny. God wants to bring you there. And the corruptive forces in this world are many. They are every place as typified by our natural experience. Right now, you are breathing in mold spores, fungi, viruses, uh, things that can actually permeate your skin, even though the skin is the protective force to try to keep many infections out. There's some that if you just touch stuff, it's going to mess you up. But you aren't sick right now because there's something happening in your body whereby you built up antibodies. Your immune system is functioning well so that you feel fine. But every moment of every day, your body is fighting. You only realize it when you realize you're losing the battle. (laughs) We call that sickness. Oh, Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, God. Take me home, please. Oh, this is terrible. Then you realize, wow, I didn't drink a cup of bacteria. I didn't go to the viral bar today. How did I get this? How did this happen to me? I was just breathing. That's all I was. I was just living. And I got sick. How this? Every day, something's going on. But God has provided a very good immune system that allows you to live normatively in health. Corruption is every place in our spiritual environment, every place. And you don't realize how you're being affected by it until you sin. When you can just go on about your life, listen to WTOP on the news and everything's just fine. But something hit you last night when you were watching that movie that was more than R-rated. Something hit you and you don't even know it. You think you're strong enough to handle it. I'm good. I'm good. That doesn't affect me. Mm. And the enemy's just biding his time because all he's done is plant some really good seeds on the inside. You don't even know what he's done yet until you get sick. And you say, how did I wind up here? I didn't mean to commit adultery. I, didn't, I don't know how. I don't know. I, why did I take that money? I'm fine. We, we, yeah, we struggle a little, but why did I do it? That was stupid. What was I thinking? You weren't. Why do people do wrong? Because they are not escaping on a regular basis. They aren't, they aren't looking at the opportunities that God provides through his word to run. In this world, there are temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, for every temptation that is common to man, God provides a way of escape so that you can bear up under it. Now, that passage has been used for a lot of stuff. And it's been extrapolated beyond that which Paul intended to, to somehow mean God never gives you more than you can handle. <laughs> I wish that were true. I so <laughs> wish that were true. He gives me so much more than I can handle. Burdens to bear. Namely, I mean, even if you're a Christian, the first thing you can't handle is a cross. You die. He starts with what you can't handle. And after that, he just keeps loading stuff on. Why? Because all the burdens make you bend your knee and bow. You realize what you can't do and how much you need him. And then you begin to cast your cares in a skillful way upon him. That doesn't mean you don't carry him. It just means he helps. But the passage means this. Every time there's a temptation which comes upon you, and there are none that are not common to everybody, meaning somebody has seen this and overcome it. Somebody has gotten victory out of this defeat. Every time there's a temptation that comes upon you, he provides a way of escape. What you need to do, in every building there is. He, in this building, everybody turn around. Look at that right there. And y'all look at that one there. On the top of those doors, X, X signs, So that if something happens bad in here... You know how to get out of here. There's an exit sign with every temptation. There's a way of escape. When the house starts burning down around you, don't burn with it. There's a way to get out of the house. Do what Joseph did. Ain't no shame in running. No shame in running. Uh -uh, You aren't that strong. You are not that strong. You're not that strong run, fast, deliberately, and if you leave your coat, good. Don't go back and get it. Macy's, Norsem, they make new coats. That's what Joseph did. Woman came to him. She was married. She said, sleep with me. He said no. She began to advance him. He ran so fast. She took his coat. She was trying to hold on to him. He ran out of his coat and kept going. true story i didn't make that up he said this is the only thing i can do to keep myself safe what do you do to keep yourself safe these promises allow us the privilege of knowing what it looks like to be delivered from that which would try to corrupt our soul that we do not have to live in sin we don't and sin messes everything up and everybody up but if you don't know how the saints prior have overcome these things, if you don't read your Bible on a regular basis, if you don't have these promises down in your soul about what victory looks like over sin, you will fall. And I don't want you to do that. I'm begging you, get in this Bible. Let these promises begin to define your future. You do not have to be the same as you've always been. You can be different. I'm testimony of it. There are many in this church who are testimony of it. And I want you to be confused as the most right person that all your friends have ever met. You stay with them long enough, they'll realize you're not. But let them be confused for a minute, just for a minute, just for a minute. Let's pray.